Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. New York State lawmakers held a special December session and Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo signed legislation Monday to enact new protections for tenants unable to make rent payments due to pandemic-related job losses and other financial challenges. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Eyes 40, nays 21. The bill is passed. Even though the new legislative session officially begins on January 6th, Senate Leader Andreas Dork-Cousins, a Democrat, says the rent protections could not wait for another week. Sending out a lifeline of hope to millions of New Yorkers who will now be able to stay in their homes. The legislation places a temporary stay on evictions and some mortgage foreclosures until May 1, 2021. Tenants unable to meet rent payments need to submit a form to their landlords declaring financial hardship due to the COVID-19 pandemic. If legal proceedings have already begun against a tenant, they can submit the form to the court. The eviction proceedings would be stayed for 30 days while the hardship declaration is evaluated. Senate sponsor Brian Kavanaugh explains the bill's provisions on the Senate floor. Our goal here is to create a system where people have to attest under penalty of law that they have experienced a hardship and that that hardship is causing them to be unable to meet their rental obligations and in that circumstance We want to protect them from eviction as an emergency public health measure. Small landlords owning 10 or fewer units would also be able to file a financial hardship form to avoid foreclosure or tax liens on their property if their tenants can't pay them rent. The legislation also ensures that no one's credit rating is negatively affected by their inability to make rent or mortgage payments. Governor Andrew Cuomo has since March issued a series of executive orders extending eviction protections, but sponsors say a law offers more than an executive order. We want to make it simple. We don't want people evicted. We don't want them to have to go to court to fight the eviction. Uh, But we want to make sure they're not committing fraud either. So uh, they will make representations that will be Uh, legally enforceable. Republicans who are in the minority in both houses of the legislature voted against the measure, saying the legislation overreaches. In a statement, Senate GOP leader Robert Ort says tenants and landlords have already received aid through the Federal CARES Act, and there are existing eviction moratoriums from the governor and from the Centers for Disease Control. Senator Daphne Jordan, a Republican from the Capital Region, worries that the hardship form would not include an income threshold and could provide a loophole for the rich to take advantage of the measure. This could lead to a high-income individual someone not in need to take advantage of the eviction prohibition. It could also lead to someone who decides to do a lot of shopping or unwise spending to state that they are having financial hardship. Tenants who forego paying rent and landlords who delay mortgage payments during the pandemic will still have to eventually pay back all of the money that they owe. 
Republicans and Democrats agree that could be a problem sometime in the near future and lead to a housing crisis. Deputy Majority Leader Mike Gianaris, speaking on the Senate floor, says the measure is a stopgap effort to get through the next few months. It by no means solves the problem. It merely allows us to put a finger in the dam to keep it from bursting. But the pressure in the housing market is going to continue to mount. Tenants' rights groups agree. They say while the measure is a good first step, more needs to be done to ensure long-term access to affordable housing. Democrats say they are hopeful that the incoming Biden administration will work with Congress to provide more permanent access to housing and better eviction protections. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Alan, New York lawmakers held a special session this week and the governor signed legislation to protect tenants unable to pay the rent due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Also part of the legislation was money for some smaller landlords. The issue, of course, is the COVID-19 pandemic has caused such a financial impact that people can't afford to pay the rent. Well, that's right. Uh, Look, we are in a great economic crisis. Not maybe for the people at the top. Look, the stock market is doing quite respectively quite well. But there's masses of Americans who are not able to put food on the table. And God bless the people who are collecting food in their various communities and handing it out and getting money to do that. It's so important that everybody make a contribution to that effort because we recognize that this is not an easy time for so many people. Well, one of the worst things you could do is become homeless because you don't have enough money to pay the rent. And the governor, and we're only talking about a couple of months now, has said, okay, you can't throw anybody out for these couple of months. Well, the one thing we're seeing is we see Joe Biden coming along and saying we're not moving fast enough on combating the coronavirus. He's right. You know, we had all expected that when the when the virus uh, was going to be confronted by the vaccine, the vaccine would win. You can't do it if people aren't getting it. And people, as we know, David, are jumping to the head of the line saying, I'm going to show everybody, yeah, but you're also going to save your own life. There is something here that is extremely important, that there is an ethic that we're all in this together and that we all have to watch out for each other. And it seems to me that that's what is going on when the governor signs this bill. The legislature says the governor has been doing it on his own, but that's not enough. We have to do more. That's good. Governor also, probably a no-brainer, withheld pay raises for himself and other top New York officials. The statewide elected officials include the Lieutenant Governor Kathleen Hochul, Comptroller Thomas DiNapoli, who you speak to regularly, Attorney General Letitia James. The interesting thing is the top salary is Governor Andrew Cuomo. It's $225,000. I wonder how many people think that might be low for a governor. Yeah, no, that's not a lot of money for 
the top job doing what he's doing, but I don't think he's in it for that reason. Listen, he's a political person. He's risen to be governor of the state of New York. He's regularly talked about for all kinds of other top jobs, and that's what he's doing. I wouldn't worry about whether he has enough money. And in terms of honest folk like Tom DiNapoli, who's one of my favorite politicians of all time, there is no question that guys like that live on their salaries. Nevertheless, at a time like this, symbolism means a lot, and I think that's what's going on. Everybody has to be able to show some sacrifice. Would it be more likely if, for example, the rumors that have been out there, maybe less likely now, about Governor Cuomo being pulled away for an attorney generalship in a Biden administration? Well, let's put it this way. There's no real evidence that that's happening. The one piece of information that we do have is that there is not an attorney general being named by the Biden people yet, which probably indicates there's a good deal of discussion as to what this could be. You're going to need somebody who is both judicious but also tough. Andrew Cuomo is certainly tough enough to do the job, and he's certainly smart enough to do the job. And if you were governor of New York under the circumstances that are going around right now, would you want to stay there and get even more clobbered than New York is being clobbered? Probably not. On the other hand, you're a Democrat. You've got a Democratic friend coming into the White House. It looks like sort of a downhill run right now, and it looks like you could do okay staying as governor. He always says, I want to be governor. I don't want to be attorney general. I get that. I don't think you want to work for anybody else. Governor is the top job, whereas you work as an attorney general, there's always going to be some tension between you and your boss. Whether if he's offered it, he would go is anybody's business. I certainly have no idea. Well, there's still one bump in that road in the relationship, and it affects New York in an Biden administration, and that's who wins the runoffs in Georgia in January. No question about it. A lot of people are looking at that. Huge amounts of money have been raised in that election, and judging by the early voting there, a lot of people are coming out to vote, and I'm sure that's on both sides. I think a lesson was learned the last time. The early voting is going to be crucial, as it was in Georgia in the presidential election. And if the same people vote who voted the last time, if the black leadership in Georgia can bring out a vote in Warnock's favor, for example, who is the senior cleric at the Ebenezer Baptist Church, Martin Luther King's church, if that works and he is seen as a guy who can be judicious and fair by not only black voters but white voters, he could win. We'll see whether or not, and his opponent is weak, we will see whether or not that is also true with a young progressive Ossoff who is running for the other Senate seat. If, in fact, it goes to the Democrats, those two seats go to the Democrats, all will change in the United States. But it is an uphill slog for the Democrats. The other thing that's happened this year is the census. And people may have missed it, but certainly New York is likely to lose one seat at least, maybe two seats, right, Alan? That's right. The census did not go all that well, that's for sure. A lot of people didn't answer the door. Everybody's supposed to be counted. The Republicans know that. They went to court so that only citizens are counted, and that got thrown out for now anyway. That still is unclear. The Supreme Court has not wanted to rule on that. And the census, of course, is the basis for how you allocate the 435 congressmen, which has to be done according to how many bodies there are in your in your area. We know we're going to lose one in New York. There's a real chance that it will be two. 
Finally, Alan, any prediction for how 2021 will go in the state legislature? Well, I think that it's clear now that the Democrats have gained the ascendancy and they will continue to and they're going to continue to push. There is vehement opposition to the governor and his gun control and all the rest. Nevertheless, while there are pockets of real resistance, you ride around in upstate New York and you you see signs about repealing the gun control uh, efforts. But in fact, it is a democratic state and it's going to stay a democratic state. You know, David, the legislature is going to have to reapportion. The federal judges may help, the legislature may help, but it all bodes well for the Democrats, no matter what. If you do it fairly, the Democrats, because there's so many more Democratic voters in New York, will make out well. If you do it based on the politics of the situation, the Democrats will do well. I don't see any scenario in which the Republicans pull this out during our reapportionment times. Legislative Gazette Political Observer, Alan Shartok. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Elected officials have not been immune from COVID-19, as many on the local, state, and national level, including President Trump, have come down with the virus. This week, Troy Mayor Patrick Madden is under quarantine after testing positive for COVID-19. Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas has an update. The second-term Democrat posted on Twitter that he tested positive earlier last week after exhibiting mild symptoms. Madden says it started out as what he thought was a seasonal head cold. Experiencing symptoms he describes as mild, Madden has been in quarantine, having had little contact with other people. The test was a week ago today, and then uh, it came. I got the results uh, the following day, uh, late in the evening. Madden says the positive test came the night of December 22nd, but by then he was already home. Actually, I started my quarantine before um, uh, I got the test because I, I had the head cold and, uh, you know, we have uh, very strict uh, protocols at work that um, you don't come into work if you feel sick, uh, even if you don't think it's COVID, um, so don't bring anything into work. So I hadn't been in work uh, the prior week. Um, except for one day, the, the earlier Monday. Madden said he has always adhered to the suggested social distancing, frequent hand washing, and masking measures, and had no personal contact with anyone after testing positive. The fact that no one else, uh, I infected no one else in the workplace, uh, demonstrates that those sorts of measures work. Uh, distancing, uh, de-densifying the workplace, holding meetings via Zoom or telephone or other uh, electronic means, um, wearing a mask all the time, um, that worked uh, for the city of Troy. It worked quite well. Madden spokesman John Salka says the mayor didn't disclose his condition immediately because he was the only worker impacted within City Hall and no additional staff needed to be quarantined, resulting from Madden's positive test. Madden is working remotely while quarantined and says he has no idea how he contracted COVID. I had not been out shopping. I had not gone to restaurants or bars. I hadn't gone to church. You know, I hadn't gone to places where people congregate. Um, 
you know, we wear wear our masks all the time at work, but for a brief moment in time somewhere, uh, I let my guard down and it got in. Republican City Council President Carmela Mantello. This is an extreme reminder, you know, that you can be as cautious as you can be, but uh, you can still contract this, this horrendous pandemic. So um, it's a reminder for, for the people who maybe are, you know, being a little less precautionary. It's here, uh, even though, like I said, the vaccine's progressing. Um, this is a real reminder. We need to stay vigilant. Madden is the highest profile Capital Region mayor confirmed to have contracted COVID-19. Poughkeepsie Mayor Rob Rollison also contracted the disease. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. Meanwhile, a New York State Assemblyman plans to introduce legislation barring elected officials from getting a COVID-19 vaccine ahead of priority groups. It comes after various members of Congress have received the vaccine ahead of frontline workers and others. The Legislative Gazette's Allison Dunn reports. Republican Hudson Valley Assemblyman Colin Schmidt of the 99th District says he will introduce the legislation soon. Listen, it's not right for elected officials and politicians to put themselves ahead of first responders, frontline medical workers, teachers, and vulnerable seniors in receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. Recognizing that any legislative action is weeks away, he also wrote to Governor Andrew Cuomo and State Health Commissioner Dr. Howard Zucker requesting they take immediate administrative action to institute the restriction in the state vaccine distribution plan. We need to have a stop on elected officials jumping the line, and it, it will just be done and done immediately. So we put that in beginning of this week. We're going to continue to follow up with the governor and the Department of Health on that. And I'm also encouraging local governments, counties, towns, and their leadership to implement that at more local levels as well. A State Department of Health spokesman in a statement says, quote, as Governor Cuomo has repeatedly stated, the first New Yorkers to receive the vaccine are high-risk hospital workers, nursing home residents, and nursing home staff. DOH has received Assemblyman Schmidt's letter. However, we do not comment on pending legislation, end quote. Governor Cuomo has also spoken of the importance of the vaccine public education campaign and ensuring there is public confidence. During a Monday briefing with reporters, Cuomo was asked when he would get vaccinated. Cuomo says he falls into the general population. I have a lot of people who just say to me when I walk around, uh, well, if it's so safe, why didn't you take it? <laughs> so, uh, which is such a great New York attitude. <laughs> it's so good, why don't you do it? Um, I had said I would take it uh, as soon as the panel uh, authorized it, and I'm willing to take it. Uh, the flip side is I don't want anyone saying, well, you took the vaccine and it should have gone to an essential worker. You know, with New Yorkers, you can't make anybody happy. Following the advice of public health officials, Congressman Antonio Delgado of New York's 19th District received the Pfizer vaccine in Washington December 18th. He says it is critical to take actions that bring communities closer to the end of this pandemic. His statement continues, quote, As I travel back and forth between home and Washington and then make my way all across the district engaging with constituents about the health and the safety of the vaccine, my goal is to build trust and faith in this treatment. Much like leaders from all walks of life, I hope to be an example and encourage our communities to be inoculated as soon as they are able. We have seen the impact of inconsistent leadership on important measures like mask wearing, and I believe it is critical to clear up any confusion there may be around the safety and efficacy of the vaccine, end quote. 
Schmidt, who recently attended the Operation Warp Speed Vaccine Summit at the White House, says it's unconscionable to lead in this way. Listen, I'm a military guy, as you know, and there's a principle in leadership where we call it leaders eat last. And it was started with the principle that you should take care of everybody that you, know, you have um, leadership on uh, before yourself. So if you're a leader, everyone is more important than you. You should put their interests before yourself. Democratic Massachusetts Congressman Richard Neal, who is 71, also received the vaccine and told WAMC Tuesday why he did. Well, in my instance, I followed the superb advice of the attending house physician and the Centers for Disease Control. Neal, who chairs the House Ways and Means Committee, says it's important to build the public's trust in the vaccine and lead by example. And we're going to have a challenge trying to convince communities of color to take the vaccine. So part of what we're trying to do is to show the local people do it. Republican Dutchess County Executive Mark Molinaro, whose father died from COVID-19, says elected officials should not jump the line. I will get the vaccine, but I will not uh, uh, get that vaccine ahead of people who are more critical, more important, and more vulnerable than me. Uh, I think that it is important that elected officials show a good example, but we're not asking people like um, uh, Congress members to wait six months. Uh, Frankly, they just needed to wait two or three weeks. Democratic Congressman Joe Courtney of Connecticut's 2nd District isn't getting the vaccine right now, but he has a different reason. He recently recovered from COVID-19, giving him a window of immunity. He spoke on WAMC's Congressional Corner. Uh, I am immune right now, and I've talked to three doctors, you know, who um, either I'm friends with or know this stuff, as well as the house physician. And, um, you know, they all you know, confirm that I'm really not in a place right this moment where I need to, to get, you know, the benefit of, of a of vaccination. Meantime, Schmidt says he will soon announce a Senate sponsor for his legislation. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Allison Dunn. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Governor Andrew Cuomo has announced that the Watertown and Gowanda Correctional Facilities and the Clinton Annex, a part of the Clinton Correctional Facility, will be closed by March 30th, 2021. Officials in the North Country are upset by the decision as the Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley reports. According to a statement emailed to WAMC from Department of Corrections spokesperson Thomas Maley, the agency reviewed operations at all 52 correctional facilities and identified the three foreclosure based on a number of factors, including physical infrastructure, facility security, potential reuse, and prior closures in the region to reduce community impact. It's expected the closures will save $89 million annually. The Corrections Officers Union, NYSCOPA, Northern Region Vice President John Roberts, says their office was summoned to a conference call Monday morning and informed of the closures. 
Roberts notes that the Clinton annex is unique in that it is a part of the larger Clinton Correctional Prison in Dannemora. A lot of services are shared between the two facilities, and it's still going to be attached to the main, so that building's pretty much going to be useless unless it's going to get repurposed. The savings isn't going to be what they're projecting at that, that particular facility. They're still going to have to maintain grounds. It's not like it's just a place they can just close the gate. It's still right there attached to the other facility on the same grounds. There are 277 staff at Clinton Annex and a current inmate population of 408. It has a maximum capacity of 735. State Assemblyman D. Billy Jones represents the 115th District where the Clinton Annex is located. The Democrat is a former corrections officer and is disappointed over the decision to close the facility. It's like a kick in the gut here to the the residents of Clinton County and the town of Denimora um, and in the region. We're not happy with this. I'm not happy with this decision. And, you know, four days out from Christmas, what a, what a way to start Christmas week off. And my feelings and, and sentiments and, and thoughts just are with the employees um, that could possibly be relocated and their families. That puts significant stress on them. And at a time where we're all stressed out, and we're going through these extraordinary times to do this to these employees and to these families right now. Um, I'm just I'm just disgusted by it. Republican Dannemora Town Supervisor Bill Chase says the impending closure makes no sense. Closure is the second closure within the confines of the town of Dannemora in the last 10 years. There was uh, back in 2011, they closed the Lime Mountain Correctional Facility, which is within the boundaries of the town of Dannemora. Um, And then how do you close half of a facility anyways? Chase is a former corrections officer and says the impacts to employees could be felt across the region and state. With unions and stuff, seniority prevails, but there's going to be people getting bumped, possibly, where they might end up in a different part of New York State if they want to maintain employment with corrections. Because anybody with seniority at Clinton Annex, they might bump somebody out of the Clinton, Maine, who's going to bump somebody and the same thing with Watertown. They could be bumping people. It's not just correction officers. There's nurses, food service people. There's maintenance people. The domino effect, a lot of people don't realize. According to the Department of Corrections monthly fact sheet for December 2020, the state has closed 17 correctional facilities since 2011, quote, resulting in an overall annual savings of approximately $193 million, unquote, and more than 96 percent of employees impacted by the closures, quote, remain employed, retired, or resigned, unquote. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2101. Or just listen or podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time. For more news on New York State government and politics, for the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina. Happy New Year. <laughs>